0: Hey folks, it's Damon and this is Theater Tales of the Techie and I'm going to try to get this uh, podcast done in a kind of a narrow bandwidth of time. It is, uh, let's see, it is January 6th. It's uh, about 12 noon. The wife just went out shopping <laughs> and I'm gonna, she's going to be gone about 45 minutes. So I'm going to try to get this done. Um, so folks, in November, I had a really deep conversation with a really, really, really cool young man and he was talking about um, how does he make sure he has worth to the industry? How does he make sure he's got the right skills, the right everything? And I've had quite a few conversations like this. Well, I shouldn't say quite a few. I've had four or five. But the thing is, folks, is the reason I'm calling this the super, the 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 winning the Super Bowl in theater or the theater Super Bowl is I I want I want to plant some seeds with um, gosh um. When you when you think about um, a winning team, okay, and you think about what it takes to put together the winning team, I'm going to talk about five things that happened in my life that I shared with this young man that made me really think that I I had like won the Super Bowl, okay. And look, and I can't believe I'm using football as kind of the the outline for this podcast because, folks. I hated all sports except like Formula 1, high diving, bowling, uh, and NHRA uh, RA drag racing until I met my wife. My wife got me into football. But when you think about the Indianapolis Colts in 2007, the year we won the Super Bowl, myself could not believe. I just couldn't believe that we won the Super Bowl because Indiana had never had a really good team. And we got Tony Dungy, we got Peyton Manning, We got um, Marvin Harrison. We got, uh, gosh, I'm trying it, Jeff Saturday, uh, Edron James. And when you start to think about what it took for us to win the 2007 Super Bowl, it took the right team, the right people at the right time. If we wouldn't have had Peyton, if we didn't have Tony Dungy, if we didn't have all of these best of the best at the right moment, at the right time, we never would have won the super bowl and indiana has a nickname it's called indy nowhere okay or india nowhere and we're 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 a state that doesn't have major league baseball but when we got a football team everybody had high hopes but it just kept fizzling out and fizzling out and then finally in 2007 um it happened and and folks It was unbelievable that that last 10 minutes of the game, when I realized we were going to win the Super Bowl, I remember uh, getting goosebumps and just just this weird sensation that, holy crap, Indiana was going to have a Super Bowl winning team. Now, keep in mind, in that game, the first quarter, Chicago was 14 and we were six and everybody thought, oh, Colts aren't going to win. But in the second quarter, we scored 10 points and they scored zero. In the third quarter, we scored six points and they scored three. In the fourth quarter, we scored six points and they scored zero. Ended up being 29-17 in favor of the Colts. But the only way that happens is when you put together the right team at the right time and you've got the best of the best. Okay? And when this young man and I are talking in November, um, and look, I got permission to talk about this. I can't use his name or the college he goes to, but... You know, folks, I I don't look at myself as a shrink, okay? I don't look at myself as a mentor. I don't look at myself as a lecturer. I just look at myself as this theater guy. Oh, and another thing is, folks, I need to redefine theater person because one of my really good friends called me up and says, Damon, you're getting this wrong. And I'm like, what am I doing wrong? He goes, you're defining theater people wrong. And you know, after him and I talked, he's absolutely right. I blew it. I screwed up. I effed up. There's two types of theater people there is the theater person like my friend who was 19 years old went to work for a theatrical rigging company and spent the next 30 years of his life and he became a theater person but he never worked on stage he doesn't know what a flat is he doesn't know what a toggle a style a rail a btn light bulb i mean the lamp he doesn't know what a fresnel is he doesn't know any of that but he's the best of the best in rigging because he, he started doing it basically out of high school okay um, I know a lot of third-party installers like that, people that never technically worked on stage, but they were part of a production house or a rental house, or they started doing installs. So folks, there are two different types of theater people. And I I know I'm going to be full of crap when I say this, but basically if you've spent five years in the theater industry, you have become a theater person, especially if you're an installer. But if you've worked on stage, Went to college, went to high school theater, all of that, and then you worked in the theater for four or five years. Then you worked for dealers, and you worked for reps. You kind of follow my path. You're then that other kind of theater person, okay? But what I'm going to do uh, today, folks, is talk about five things that happened in my life that I vividly remember as if I had I I won the Super Bowl, okay, or the team I was with won the Super Bowl. The first one is in 1993. I thought, mean, uh, stop that. 1983, um, I remember vividly, now this is before cell phones, okay, and I did have an answering machine that had a little tape in it, but here's the crazy thing, folks, is if I was like at my parents' house, if somebody wanted to find me, they would call there and say, hey, is Damon there? Nope, he's not there. Or they might call the girlfriend I got at the time. A lot of people had my phone numbers, okay, but I was working with a lot of high schools repairing dimming systems because I'd grown up a Heathkit kid, you know, which means electronic nerd. And if you don't know what a Kit is, Google it, folks. I'm not going to go through it because I, I've talked a lot about it in the past on my podcast. But basically, you build a clock radio, AM radio, resistors, diodes, all that crap. But in 1983, I'll never forget that I uh, actually I was going I, I had been at work. I was working at a pizza hut um, and I just started working at the Lily Theater. And I remember I was leaving the pizza hut. And they said, Damon, and I don't want to say the guy's name, such and such is on the phone. Are you still here? And I'm like, what? That's a theater director at this high school in the south side of an Indianapolis. So I pick up the phone and he's like, Damon, I'm glad I found you. I'm so glad you gave me all these different phone numbers. And I'm like, okay. He goes, our dimming system isn't working. And he goes, we got to, pr- we, we, we're using the entire theater tonight. You, you got to get here, Damon. And I'm like, okay, I, I can be there in like 30 minutes. He goes, Damon, I got to have my lights. So, folks, I go down to this high school, I walk on stage, he's visibly shaken, I notice the lights are on at the stage manager panel, and folks, this happened to me so many times. I know I've talked about things like this in my podcast, but this particular one didn't take brains to fix. It really didn't. (laughs) So, if you go up the stairs on stage right you go up to where the splay or the boom position is boom box position is you go through a door and then there was the big major dimming system major theatrical dimming system um i went up there with my flashlight i looked at the dimming rack and i looked at the bottom and there was this control module that has these two big screws these thumb screws that hold it in and the control module was pulled out about an inch and i looked at that and i thought what the uh, what the f Cause that right there's a reason. This is a low voltage, zero to ten volt system. If that if that control module's pulled out any, it's not making contact in the back of the rack. It was sabotage. It was some little bitch kid there <laughs> that that was messing around and decided to see what would happen. Probably didn't realize they shut off all the lights on stage and in the house. So I pushed the module in, I tightened up the thumb screws. I look out through the door. I could see through the opening of the display and I saw the house lights were on. And all of a sudden I hear the theater director screaming, the lights are on, the lights are on. He's all just tickled to death, had his all peonies in a bunch. So I went to the stage manager's panel made sure all the stage lights were working. I went to the booth, made sure. And I said, everything's working. He goes, what was it? I said, it was sabotage. And he looked at me like, what? I said, one of your control cards or your, your control module at the bottom was pulled out about an inch. And he just looked at me like, are you, are you effing kidding me? And now keep in mind, most people, I mean, keep in mind people, most of your theater is completely unlocked. You know, the, after school, these kids can go and come anywhere they want to the control booth, the follow spot positions um, to some of the storage rooms where all your microphone cables and stands are. So I don't know if it was some disgruntled kid or just some kid that thought, okay, this is going to be a joke. I'm going to pull this out and see if anything happens. Well, it knocked out the house and, and lights and the um, uh, stage lights because it basically was the input card for the low voltage controls that came from all the architectural control stations and the booth control station. Now, keep, this, keep in mind, this is all analog, 0 to 10 volts, no digital yet. But um, he was tickled to death. And honestly, folks, when I walked out of there, I felt like I had cam- come in first in the rocket club and got the big gold trophy. Now, oh, and he tried to pay me and I wouldn't take the money. I'm like, dude, this took me three seconds. I mean, all I did was look at the rack and he goes, well, I feel embarrassed. I didn't look at the rack and I go, I don't know if you would have noticed down there that module out. And he goes, well, show me. And I took him upstairs. I showed him all these need to be pressed in tight and all the little thumb screws have got to be tight. Some of them actually had what looked like Zeus fasteners on them on some of the old electrical control systems. But essentially, folks, I remember that like it was yesterday. And I know this is going to sound arrogant, but that day I was Peyton Manning or Tony Dungy or Marvin Harrison. You know, I mean, the right person at the right time walked into that theater and fixed it. Now, is it because I'm godlike? No. Is it because I'm, <laughs> I've got some kind of superpower? No. It's because of the knowledge I'd gained working on major theatrical systems and the electrical control dimming systems. These are the, the. If you're a college student, you're going to start gathering this knowledge, and that knowledge is going to empower you in those skills. Now. I would suggest that every theater person listening to me go listen to the book or buy the book called Emotional Intelligence 2.0. Because even though we're geeks and we're all know-it-alls and we're all experts, we don't know sometimes how to communicate that. We don't know how to keep our mouths shut. So if you learn emotional intelligence and you acquire all this knowledge in college, you are going to be godlike one day. Now, the next <laughs> the next thing I want to tell you happened in 1986. And I was working at the Lully Theater. And the theater director there, Tim, one of the coolest guys I've ever met in my life, was also the assistant uh, theater manager for the summer of the Shawnee Summer Theater, which was a really cool summer theater. And folks, every show that happened just just was perfect. Now, it wasn't because of the lighting, because I was asked to be the LD. It wasn't because of it was, it was the entire team. We, we had such a cohesive and fun team. We would bust our asses and balls during the day to get everything right. Now, keep in mind, I was only down there two days a week. The rest of the time, I was up at the Lily Theater. I'd go down on Saturday night, about 10 o'clock at night, refocus all the lights until about 6 a.m. Sunday. We would walk through a tech rehearsal Sunday afternoon, and then I was free to go back to Indianapolis. A lot of times, we would go through a dress rehearsal Sunday night, go out and have pizza and get hammered, and then I would go back to Indianapolis on Monday, uh, which was normally dark in the theater, so that was kind of my only day off, but if I didn't go back, I was... I was recuperating down in Bloomfield, Indiana. Then I'd go back to work on Tuesdays. Now I was lucky. The assistant theater manager, of the Lolly theater was the one covering for me on Sundays when I would go down there Saturday night. Cause I couldn't be there Sunday, but folks, those shows that summer, in my humble opinion, we we're, we're, I'll never forget how awesome those went and how cool the people were. I mean, it, it, you know, when you pull together the right team at the right time, you can win the Super Bowl, but you can't do it every year. You can't do it three years in a row. I don't know why, um, but I'm telling you, if, if you get the skills and the experience and you read it and you read Emotional Intelligence 2.0, as a college kid, by the time you're 30, you could be an asset that everybody in the industry wants. They're going to be wanting a piece of you. And that's when you can kind of figure out how much money you're worth. Because folks, when my wife came home that one time, um, big time executive for a bank, um, we'd had our daughter. She was about nine years old, uh, nine months months old at the time. And my wife says, I can't keep putting her in daycare every day. It's killing me. And my wife wanted to go to part-time. The bank had told her, if you go to part-time, we're going to lay you off, which they did a year later, lay her off. And I had to figure out how was I going to make enough money to support my family? And for the next 11 years, I was able to do it in this industry quite handsomely but it's because I had built enough worth for myself I could go out and talk to people and figure out what I should be being paid there will be a time in your life I'm telling you if you listen to me right now if you're in your dorm your apartment there's gonna be a time in your life someone's gonna want you so bad and keep in mind in a negotiation when you're interviewing for a job you interview them. They don't just interview you. You got to find out, do you like the job? Are you going to like the people? Do you like the hours? Do you like the uh, bonus pay? Do you like your vacation package? Do you like the healthcare package? There's so many things that you're going to have to ask them about. Because once you're in this industry, 30, 35, I mean, I'm sorry, let me back up. 15 to 20 years, nah, screw that. 10, 15, 20 years. Once you're in the industry that long, and if you're full of piss and vinegar, and you want to go out and find that really cool job, um, you can find one. Now, there may be those that are like, okay, I want to work in the theater for eight or 10 years. Then I want to go and work as an apprentice for a theater consultant. And then I want to go into consultancy and I want to spend my life do- the rest of my life doing that. That's absolutely kick-ass and cool. But some of us, and I- now I got to say that differently. There are different types of people that want to see how much success they can gather in the industry. and And those are normally people who become reps. And, and they're driven to work 60 hours a week, make a boatload of money, buy their boats, buy their BMWs, buy their lake cottage. And then there's other theater people that just want to go easy for the next 40 years. And I'm not putting that down. And I'm probably not saying this right. <clears throat> but there's nothing wrong with them, okay? The next year that I feel like I won the Super Bowl was 1987. And folks, 1987... um, well actually the end of 1986 all the way through 1987 something really really special happened so in 1986 at the lollie theater we started doing a little bit more in-house productions and create and kind of created our own in-house theater troupe okay and we had some really good directors and writers we had some really good actors and actresses. And by the way, at the time, I had the most hottest, awesome girlfriend, which didn't hurt at all either. I mean, we're just talking. She would walk through the ice cream department at a store and melt all the ice cream. She was so hot. And um, so in 1986 kind of ended and I thought, oh, my God, it can't get any better than this. But 1987 is when I think. is one of the years, but not the year yet. I'll get to that in a minute that. I mean, you talk about winning the Super Bowl. I mean, it was like winning the Super Bowl 55 to 0. So in the spring of 1987, <clears throat> excuse me, we had decided for our summer productions to do it all in-house, except on that Saturday and Sunday that we would be- bring in like Louisa Sesame Street or Big Bird or uh, Cookie Monster or uh, Dance Kaleidoscope. We always had rotating road shows that would come in on, on Saturday and Sundays. However, on during the summer, we were open Monday. We weren't black. Most theaters are black or dark or whatever you want to call it on Monday. Okay, the, the lights just aren't on because that's your day off. On Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, we would do a 1030, a one, and a 330 per, per, performance. And they were all going to be rotating in-house shows, almost like a summer theater. But the director we had was top-notch. The actors we had were beyond top-notch. The scripts and, and just the material, the shows. Keep in mind, when you're doing children's theater, it's not children who are the actors. It's adults that are acting to children. And to keep them completely attentive for 35 minutes is almost impossible. But we did it. We had a show called Jets and the Genie, which was one of the most fantastic shows I was a part of. <clears throat> Basically, and I've talked about this before. A janitor walks into the theater and he looks at all the kids and goes, "What are you all doing here?" And they're like, "We're here for a show." <laughs> and the janitor's like, "Well, there's no show today." And the kids are like, "Ah, you're crazy. There's a show." <clears throat> and then all of a sudden, there's rotating gobo on the wall, it's rotating, and then another rotating gobo, and then another rotating gobo, and then in the middle we had this gobo of a genie appear and I had an ellipsoidal uh, with a little bitty gobo in it. That was a shape of a mouth and standing to the left of me behind my big brand new Encore 4896 lighting console was the theater director who was also the voice of the genie. So he had the script in front of him and he would interact with this actor acting as a janitor on stage. But after we'd done this for four or five weeks, they started to ad lib a lot. And keep in mind, my left hand is hitting a go button on the lighting uh, console, which, you know, I had 96 dimmers. I had uh, 18 rainbow color scrollers. I felt like I was running a Genesis show with my left hand. My right hand was running a reel-to-reel tape deck. So, folks, you talking about a cluster <laughs> F of all kinds of ways to screw up a show. The environment existed for me to completely trash the show. But guess what? Every show went fantastic. It was fabulous. Now, Jack and the Beanstalk that year, I screwed up, but only once. But folks, that entire summer of 87 was unbelievable because at the end of the, of the year, we all wondered. And keep in mind, that's when the dealer was poaching me to go and leave the theater and go work somewhere else. I knew 87 is going to be my last year. And, and folks, it... It, it was really hard for me to leave, but I was going to make 35% more than I was working at that theater to go work for a dealer. And within three years, I was making 50% more than I was working on that stage. And there, there was a kind of a, a moment in my life that I said, am I being a whore? Is it all about the money? But folks, I've always made sure I aligned myself with jobs where I had unbelievable fun. The moment it really isn't fun, um, and and I need to qualify that a little bit. I'm not afraid of a challenge. I'm not afraid of working hard and everything. But there's sometimes when you just realize the writing on the wall, it's time to go. Okay, and that's when you start opening your ears because someone's always going to be kind of feeling you out. Okay, so the next really cool time in my life where I felt like I won the Super Bowl, and folks, I don't even know how to describe. How this won't mean probably anything to you, but it meant so much to me. So in 1998, I was at the end of the time I was working at STTV and AV, the, the theatrical dealer. I had a kid named Chris from high school that was working part time for me. I had my rental gal. Um, and at the end of that year, uh, and at the end of 1998, I remember my boss coming in. He says, "Hey, are these numbers right for rental this year?" I go, "Yeah." And he goes, "Do you want to look at this and make sure?" I go, "Why?" And he goes, "Do you realize how much money we made in rentals this year?" I said, "Yeah." I said, "We absolutely kicked ass." I said, "Ever rental, all the right cables went out, all the right lamps went out, all the right backup lamps for follow spot." I said, "Because of of Chris and the rental girl and and you know myself, we we hit it out of the park." He said, "Okay," and he left and he left a piece of paper on the desk. And I looked at it and we made 81% margin that year, folks, on rentals. 81%. I didn't gouge anybody. They just went so perfect that we made 81% margin and I was buying new equipment. Keep in mind, that rental department was there when I started there. But it was like a dozen or two dozen ellipsoidals, 6 by 9 6 by 12s um, It was a bunch of pars, a couple of fresnels, 6-inch fresnels, you know, the Altman, Altman uh, what, 65Qs. Um, But while I was there, I bought a bunch of trust. I bought a bunch of crank evaders. I bought some movers, the uh, Martin 1220 pros, those big old 110 pound bitches that were just incredibly hard. I think it's one reason I got my rotator cuff surgery this year is because of those effing fixtures. But folks that year, because I had the rental gal, which I I swear to God, if I won the lottery right now and I, and, and she had any worth ethic like she did back then, I would make her the freaking CEO this girl would always be early, would always stay late, and she was so driven. It was insane. And my final example, I want to tell you now that, folks, this trumps everything else in life. This this is the one time in my life when I've never seen anything work so perfect in this industry as far as being on, not being on stage. So, I've got to lay down a little foundation here. I went to work for a company for a year, and it didn't work out. And um, I went and worked for the Italians for a year, and then that company didn't work out. For asked me to come back, and when I went back, over the next uh, two years and two months, we did really, really good. Okay, not fantastic, but we did re- we did really damn good. And then the company was going to get bought. It's going to be bought by this big video company, screen company that makes these big scoreboard hoists. I mean, big scoreboards, and we made hoists for them uh, as a custom thing. Um, and I knew that they had all their, they were almost like the company Caterpillar. You may not know this, but like the bulldozer company, all their salespeople have degrees and many have master's degrees um, in electrical engineering. And this company, all their salespeople were either bachelor or master degree type salespeople. And I was a high school dropout and I knew I wouldn't, there wouldn't be a place. And folks, that's kind of something that sucks the big one too. Somebody like me could probably outsell any one of those salespeople, but because I didn't have a bachelor's or a master's on electrical engineering, they wouldn't even interview me. And I saw the writing on the wall. So I said, screw that. And folks, this is what's crazy about this industry. I think it was on a Wednesday that I I notified the company I was going to leave. And they're like, oh, no, no, Damon, you can't leave. And I'm like, yeah, I can leave. This is America. And on Thursday, because I had this big, vast rep network, I had a couple of people that I truly thought as family, brother and sisters and stuff. I reached out to them and said, hey, look, I just want to give you a heads up. Don't tell anybody, but I'm going to be moving on. And they're like, oh, okay, Damon, this really sucks. What's going on It's because of the sale. And I said, yeah, there's not going to be a place for me after the sale. I'm not stupid. And they're like, okay, well, let us know what you're going to do. The next Monday, if I remember right, it was a Monday, I get a call from a dealer. Dealer calls me up and says, hey, Damon, would you talk to the CEO? I'm like, why? What about? Well, you're leaving, right? And I'm like, <laughs> leaving where? Are they go, you're leaving that company. I'm like, how the hell do you know? Oh, Damon, everybody knows now. And I'm like, gee, what the flying folks, this industry has more leaks than the Iraqi Navy. But literally from Wednesday to Monday, the entire industry knew I was leaving this company. And I'd only told two or maybe three people. And believe me, you can't call them up and yell at them and throw them under the bus. You, you got you, you to gotta have, and that's where emotional intelligence comes in. You just can't lose your shit. So I told the dealer, sure, I'd love to talk to him. Um, and if I remember right, is the next day the CEO called me and said, hey, Damon, we, we hear you're moving on. I'm like, yeah, because would you entertain talking to us? I said, sure. And we went to some cloak and dagger place like the U.S. Air Lounge in Buffalo or wherever it was. And we had a great conversation. I told him I wanted to be a contract rep. They said, no problem. Now, folks, this was the fall of 2007. And it wasn't until 2010 that we won the Super Bowl. OK, so it took a couple of years. If you look at the Indianapolis Colts, folks, it took us three to four years for Peyton Manning. I mean, Peyton Manning's first year, I think, was something like four and 12 or some crazy. We did terrible the first year of Peyton Manning. But by 2007, with Tony Dungy, Peyton Manning, Edron James, uh, Marvin Harrison, uh, Jeff Saturday, they pulled together the best of the best, and Indiana had won a Super Bowl. So, I start working in late 2007 as a contract rep for this company. And my sole job, and this is what really blew me away. I said, don't you want to have a whole network of reps? They said, nope, Damon, we're going to hire you to do the work of 30 reps. And I'm like, are you sure this is a good idea? They said, well, you tell us. Can you get a sale? They said, I know I can get you sales. They said, and we're going to hire you as a super rep. I think it was a phrase, uh, which I never liked that idea, the super rep. You know, I wanted to be called the God rep or maybe the ultimate uh, creator of all things cool for the theater rep. But the thing was, folks, I was going to be one person and my sole job was to call in theatrical dealers, then general contractors with the dealers and then theater consultants. Okay. So 2008, we got some really good, I would say, sizable sales. Um, I was a complete 100% contract wreck. I was getting paid between four and a half and 5% for what I sold. And I made more money in 2008 than I had, I had any other previous job in the, in the industry. So I thought that was pretty kick-ass. Keep in mind, though, I had to started my own little S Corp. I had to pay my monthly and quarterly uh, taxes. It was a bitch. But guess what? My wife was an ex-banker. And I hired her to be my CFO. So, um, everybody is, sometimes people look at how much money I made and they're like, Oh my God, Damon, you made a lot of money. Well, I had to pay my wife as a CFO. I had to pay these lawyers uh, monthly or quarterly for my taxes. So it's a bitch running your own company. Okay. 2009 comes around. This is when we really started to get some orders. And we, I mean, we're getting orders in 2008, but 2009, we were getting predictable orders. But guess what? We had the best controls people in the industry. We had the best production people in the industry. We were, uh, everything that we were doing, drafting people, everything, the estimators, it was all starting to come together. But little did I know in 2008 that in 2010, we were going to win the Super Bowl. We were that team that we were building. So then 2009 comes around. 2009, folks, was a year that blew my mind because I had dealers loving me so much that they would, I had a dealer call me up almost in a panic and said, Hey, Damon, look, uh, now keep in mind, folks, if a dealer sold a five or six hundred thousand dollar automation system, somewhere between sixty and eighty thousand dollars is their profit for a dealer that is life-changing. If you do two, three of those in one year, it changed the whole trajectory of your dealer. So I I'm literally getting two to three phone calls a day from dealers. Damon, I got this job. Can you help me on this job? I want you to talk to this general contractor. And folks, it was the busiest I ever was in my entire life uh, come 2009. I'll never forget sometime in March of 2009, a dealer called me up and just flat out said, Damon, look, um, hey, folks, I got to put this on pause for a minute. I got a dog doing something weird. Hang on. Just say, that's not what the dealer said. Hang on. a minute, I'll be right back. OK, I'm back. I'm sorry, folks. <laughs> right in the middle of that sentence, I noticed something was really going wonky in my house. So uh, the dealer calls me up in March and says, Damon, I know you guys can't ship anything in June or August or June, July or August right now because you're just at max capacity. I said, yep. He goes, but Damon, I've got a job. I can give you a PO right now for 40 hoist, but I need it in June. And I'm like, okay, let me think about this for a minute. I said, can I call you back? He said, yep. Call me back, Damon. And I said, "Okay, you're positive? You can give me a PO today, Damon. I've got the order." I said, "Wait a minute, you've got an order? I'm, yeah, Damon, I got an order. If I don't give it to you, I'm going to give it to those other guys." I'm like, "I'll call you back." So I call up. Now, keep in mind, the CEO of this company was like Tony Dungy to me. The uh, president was Peyton Manning. And right now, I'm Marvin Harrison. I'm out there. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna catch the order, and I'm I'm going to bring it back in. Okay. So I will never forget calling the president and he's like, where are you at? I said, actually, I'm in California. I'm calling you on a job that's out in Texas. And he goes, okay. And I said, is there any way if I get you a PO today, um, no discount for 40 hoists that you could ship it in June? He goes, what time in June? I said, I don't know. And he goes, well, I need to know what time in June. And I said, "Um, let's pick a date. I said, can we do it by June 20th? He goes, I'll find out, Damon. He calls me back about an hour later. He goes, Damon, I can ship 40 hoists on June 20th. I've got to have the purchase order today. I called the dealer back and said, well, June 20th work. He goes, Damon, that'll be perfect. I said, send the PO right now. I said, I can do this. Now, folks, do you know, I changed that dealer's life that day because they were so scared they're going to have to go to the other people, which means they're going to have to get pre-approved. It was going to be, a, a, you know... Basically, they're going to go back to the contractor and go, hey, I got you number two instead of number one. The contractor is going to be like, well, wait a minute. They're not approved. And the, and keep in mind, folks, the other company didn't have the same kind of controls we had, the same type of e-stop. You know, there, there's certain things in automation that once the job is bid and everybody's accepted the drawings and everything, it's hard to change it. Once once that thing's out of the, once that train has left the station, it's hard to change product midstream. Okay. So, 2009 I thought we couldn't have a better year and I made monstrous money that year I was a contract rep the company made my keep in mind if I sold 10 million dollars folks and I got four percent of that or three percent or well I think it's between three and a half and five percent so if I sold ten million dollars the company has made a monstrous amount of money because they're putting my commission on top of their markup okay they're not discounting it to pay me so when I'm out there selling, they're making full margin plus they've got some on top for me. It's a perfect it's a perfect scenario. So then 2010 uh, rolls around. And this is when we won the Super Bowl, folks. In February of 2010, I always tasked myself to call every dealer in the in the state and say what are you working on for the summer? What are you working on for the fall? And folks, in February I got three orders for large rigging systems in February. When I call them up, they're like, yeah, Damon, I'm getting ready to give you an order. I I, got to have it now. We got to get this into our schedule. And folks, in February, March, April, and May, it was nothing but orders coming in. Now, not all of them were going to ship that year, but 80% were going to ship in 2010. A few were going to ship in 2011. But come the fall of uh, 2010... We had never seen anything like this in our lives. I mean, we're talking about one month. I think we shipped 135 or 145 hoist in one month. I think we did 660 hoist total that year. And folks, it was the dealer. It was the GC. It was a consultant, but it was also our controls department. It was our production. It was shipping. It was estimating. We had the 2007 Indianapolis Colts that year. It was the most unbelievable thing I'd ever seen in my life. Okay, now, that will happen again in my life. Okay, that that exact kind of scenario will will happen again in my life. But what's more important, it's going to happen to you. If you're sitting in your dorm or your apartment or you're sitting in a Starbucks and you're listening to my podcast, there are going to be three or four times in your life that you're going to look back and say, my God, that was perfect. How do I replicate that? Folks, you got to choose. You just got to make sure that you burn no bridges. You build relationships. You gather all your experience and all your skills, all your knowledge. And People are going to find you and they're going to find that, that worth in you. They're going to find, you know, when I talked to this young man in in November, folks, it was a deep conversation and I, and look, his, I don't want to say his fear was that he was never going to be legitimate, but I felt the exact same way he did at his age. I remember folks one time getting a call to go work on a dimming system that I'd never worked on. And I I was scared. What if I burn the building down? What if I blow up their dimming system? What if I make it worse? Because it's just me. I mean, you know, I didn't realize till later in life, there's a thing called imposter syndrome. It's where we really don't believe that we should be recognized for as good as we are, because we're really not that good. And I'm telling you, um, you're going to win the Super Bowl one day. I'm telling you flat out, it's going to happen. You may have already done it in high school for a particular show and it might be your first Super Bowl. You might have done it in college and that was your Super Bowl. But by the time you're older than dirt, like me at 60, you're probably going to win four or five, maybe six. And you're going to look back and say, man, that that was the most awesome time of my life. Okay. Now, as I wind this podcast down, I got to do a shout out to a gal named Gail. So, folks, this has nothing to do with winning the Super Bowl, but I wanted to throw it at the end of this podcast, okay? So, folks, as you know that I always try to say that artists, musicians, actors, actresses, and theater people all come from that same island of misfits. So, this gal, her name's Gail, that's all I want to share, and she reaches out to me. And says, Damon, I really appreciate you talking about musicians. <laughs> and she goes, My boyfriend listens to your podcast, and I listen in the background. And I've noticed several times you've talked about musicians. She said, I was in that orchestra pit in high school, and quite frankly, we did not feel any recognition at all. We would do our bows at the end. But she said, you know, when the audience was cheering and standing up and the actors are taking their bows and then the tech crew comes out and take their bows and then we take our bows, nobody can really see us down in that hole. And she said, it just, it made me smile when you keep talking about musicians and folks, musicians are just as important part of the team when you're doing a musical as the lighting. Because if there's no music, what kind of musical are you going to have? I'll tell you what you're going to have. You're going to have Helen Keller up there. (laughs) And I shouldn't say that. I don't mean that off-color, folks. But I'm just telling you, I hate plays. Okay, I love musicals. Now, that's just me. Um, Well, I shouldn't say that. I like the... uh, um, Oh, crap. I can't even remember the name of the play now. Um, Oh, crap. Isn't that horrible? I can't remember. Oh, well. But, folks, there are... There are times in our, how do I say this? There are going to be times that you just flat out um, realize if you're part of the orchestra, you're an actor, actress, if you're a stage crew, if you're the lighting board op, if you're the follow spot, you're going to feel a synergy. You're going to feel this aura when you knock it out of the ballpark and you're going to know you won the Super Bowl. And, And I'm telling you folks, there's nothing like it in the world. Nothing it's, it's just such an awesome feeling. So look, I'm going to shut this down. Everybody rock on, have a great day, uh, support the arts. Um, if you're an artist, a musician, an actor, actress, or a theater person, chances are you're absolutely awesome. Okay. Um, I shouldn't say chances are you are awesome. So that's it, folks. Rock on. I'll talk to you next time. Please support the arts. If you're a mom and dad and you're afraid your kids are, you know, just in a phase in theater, it's not a phase. Okay? They, they really probably have a passion and you should back them up 100%. If you're rich, and I'm talking about really rich, I mean, so rich do you have a jet, maybe hookers, a Mercedes, whatever, please donate some money to the theater. Uh, your local theater would love to put your plaque on the wall of their lobby saying that daddy warbucks donated five hundred thousand dollars uh instead of spending it in vegas okay so that's it folks um have a great day please be safe please be kind to each other and uh rock on bye